Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of Heavy Meta. Uh, we're on our number 15. Yes. 15. Wow. There should be like some sort of, I don't know, 50, <laughs> it's, a, it's a five number, so it's important, right? It's more important than, you know, 14. If you say so. <laughs> I, I am, as always, uh, one of your hosts, Bryce Kundick, a library director over at Mantor Library, and I'm joined with my co-host. Kelly Boyvin. And today we have yet another uh, illustrious special guest. We're joined with Brad Dearden from the uh, from the. Tell us a bit. Well, like, I'm your department, your division. What do you, what do you teach? I'm in the division of social sciences and business, um, but I'm an associate professor of geography, and uh, we our program is called Geography and Environmental Planning. So we're kind of a a combination of uh, environmental studies and also geography. So I've. I'd always wondered, so a geography professor, I mean, you know, I think most people that hear geography, geography professors, they're like, okay, so what, you look at maps all day? You're like, <laughs> oh boy, here's the latitude and longitude. What does a geography professor do? So that, that's a good question. We, we have, I think, uh, a long way to go to better educate the public about what we do, what we do, because students come into my class and they think they're going to be drawing maps all term. Which yeah. I think sounds cool, but yeah. you know, it's yeah. just me. Colored pencils. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. But that's actually such a small piece of what we do in geography. Um, I mean, there there wouldn't be positions for nearly a fraction of us if we just drew maps. You know, most of that's, <laughs> most of that's digitized now. Mm -hmm. There are very few of the old school cartographers that draw maps and by hand, and that just doesn't happen anymore. So the question becomes, what do we do, right? And so what I impress upon my students, like if you think of... Um, uh, our gen ed course, which is peoples and environments. Mm -hmm. First day the students are coming into the course and they have this impression that they're going to draw maps. And so what I do is I just kind of dismiss that impression right off and I say what, what we're going to do is we're going to learn to think spatially. That's what geographers do. Think spatially. That yeah. sounds like math. Spatially, you know, space. But okay, learn. So keep going. Learn to, learn well, to think yeah, spatially. Follow up on your comment. It, it is. It can be but not, doesn't necessarily need to be highly mathematical. And you think about Earth space, mm -hmm. that can all be modeled mathematically, statistically. And some geographers do that, of course, in an introductory course or even in our program, we don't do that as much. Um, all we want is for students to be, be able to start thinking about the various things that happen in the world between the natural environments and the humans that live on the Earth as they happen across Earth space. How is one place connected to another? Why do transport hubs happen in certain places, airports? Interesting. Why, how does, how does um, um, a new road coming between Augusta, let's take the, the East-West Highway. If the East-West mm -hmm. Highway came through this part of Maine. So one of the things I ask my students is what kinds of things might change? And they typically say, well, probably more people would come here because they can get to ski areas easier or something out of the highway. Mm -hmm. There might be some impact on some of the forest and land resources, the ecosystems in the area from that. Um, it might affect the economy. More businesses might come in here because now they've got easier access to more people potentially coming through, potential customers. And so that's just thinking spatially about what happens to places and other places as things change whether natural environments or human systems change in those places. So it really intersects a lot of different disciplines at once. I mean, because like everything from like political science to history to math, that we said, I mean, that's it's much deeper yeah. 
commerce I, and agriculture and all kinds of connections. It's it's highly multidisciplinary. So we, we touch uh, upon a lot of subjects that natural sciences folks mm -hmm. would study, but also a lot of folks that social scientists study. And we kind of bridge both of those in some respects. I think that's really cool. I do too. I would, I would think that most of your students, once they find out well, they're not drawing maps, and maybe some of them are disappointed. They're like, oh, they're putting away their colored pencils. They're like, aw. Aww. But I would think that would be, you know, quite interesting. I mean, but well, well that's, that's what we hope to convey, how successful we are. That's another matter, right? It's debatable. But, yeah. um, so of all of that, what is your particular focus? Because I know professors generally, you know, there's the field, and then there's the thing that they actually study in inside that field. Yeah, so if I were to kind of put this in some key words, like I often do, you know, when I'm promoting myself for, I don't know, certain programs or presentations, is I do um, population and development and health. Probably those three more than anything else. And, of course, most of my work is international, so I, I do that in various regions of the world, mostly Asia and Latin America. So you go to an do you go to an area, and then you study it for the population, the health, and I've already forgotten the third thing. Development. Uh, development. How developed it is, how populated, and how healthy the people are. Uh, yeah, in some respects, um, I think so. For example, I can give you an example. So a few years ago, I took some students to Guatemala, mm -hmm. and we were working on a we were partnering with a, a family planning organization in Guatemala called Women's International Network for Guatemala Solutions. And the, the circumstances in Guatemala are such that women there don't have a lot of status. And so most of the family planning decisions that get made in their households um, are directed by the men, hmm. and the women just kind of accept those decisions. However, what we're finding through research is that many women in those households tend to be quite a bit more interested in family planning options than their husbands do. And so they're the ones that are sometimes secretly showing up at the, the clinic saying, really? can you help? And so we partnered with this family planning organization to try and better understand the thinking behind um, their family planning options and their families. Wow. So I actually took a couple of students down, and we did over 400 surveys in this one village down there. And... Um, what, what uh, interesting outcomes from that, you know, I, I guess this goes back to the spatial question, if I digress a bit, is we were looking at how those played out across space in this particular town. In other words, do certain areas of town that have more education, more wealth, maybe feel more open to family planning options or not? Were they? Uh, yes, that was okay. the general trend. But probably one of the more interesting outcomes from that study was that over 80% of the respondents, these 425 odd respondents, said, we would like to be able to delay our first child or and or we would like to be able to space our children better and or we would like to be able to say, I've had enough children, I don't want any more. Over 80%, hmm. but less than 20% are using any form of contraception. So this right, suggests a large gap in terms of uh, what what people want in that community and the services they're able to access. And were those cultural barriers or resource barriers? There were there were a number of barriers. So one of them was the patriarchy I talked about, yes. where men tend to make more decisions. Um, another, until recently, had been the Catholic Church. It was not in favor. The Catholic Church is very strong in Guatemala, but they were mm -hmm. not in favor of promoting family planning programs. 
and most Guatemalans, even indigenous Guatemalans, are, and these are mostly indigenous Mayans that we were interviewing, hmm. um, uh, most of them conform very closely to the Catholic Church, and so what the Catholic Church says is what their the decisions design. are. Um, in some cases, so that, that's changed recently, by the way. The Catholic Church has now opened. Really? Um, yeah, and the re primary reason they did that is because they were finding high rates of um, maternal mortality and suicide among women who felt like they weren't able to make good choices in this respect. And the maternal mortality was often happening um, in terms of women who couldn't access family planning or felt they shouldn't be and were continually getting pregnant and didn't know what to do about it. We're trying to self-abort in back alleys with a coat hanger or something. So there were a lot of key issues that were around this, both at the political governmental level, the church level, and the household level. See, and I don't think anyone, well, I'd be surprised if anyone, when you first said geography professor, they'd think that is what you end up <laughs> right. doing. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, this, this is what, I mean, to me, this is what's exciting about geography. And I came to, to geography in a very roundabout way because I didn't start studying geography until my PhD. Hmm. Um, but what geography to me offers is just about anything you'd like to study in that framework of spatial thinking. And so anything that happens anywhere on the earth is fair game for geographic study. And you get to travel I, yeah. to cool. And you get to travel, travel yeah. all over the place. So where, where all have you gone? So I've gone, uh, let's see, I've been in a number of places in Latin America. You probably don't want a long laundry list of countries. <laughs> okay, well, you know, yeah, some, some samples. Yeah. Okay. So in Latin America, I've spent time in, um, some of these are traveling, some working. In Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, Brazil. Um, been to Asia in a number of countries. So I've either studied or done research or traveled in China or taught. I include that. Taught in China, Beijing. It's part of our exchange program. Um, Thailand, Malaysia, Taiwan, Singapore, um, India, Nepal, particularly Turkey. So most of my regional background for what I bring to geography is in Latin America and Asia. Wow. And incredibly, you know, for, for many Americans, the first destination of choice is Europe. And I, all my time and travels, I have not stepped foot in Europe yet. And that's not intentional, not that I don't want to go to Europe. Yeah. I'd love to. It's just that my interests and in research have taken me elsewhere at this point. You're like the hipster geographer. You just, yeah. Europe's, no, <laughs> yeah. no. That's yeah. where everyone goes. I'm that's right. going yeah. somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the places that you've, I know recently you've been going to Nepal quite a bit, right? Yes. Uh, tell us a bit about that. So let's see. Do you want to hear about the, the fascinating side of Nepal and my yes. work there? Yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, give us the boring stuff. Yeah, please, <laughs> just the boring. Well, yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk a bit about, I mean, like, because Nepal, I think, uh, I would imagine very, very few people in Maine Certainly in Farmington, have yes. ever been to Nepal. Been to the roof of the world. Or yes. could even like locate it on a map, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what... what there there are actually like? some people, a few people around here that are working in Nepal, yeah, out in the community. Um, but anyway, it is a, a place that not many people get to. It's very off the beaten path. And you've got to take a roughly, you know, 35, 40 hour flight with layovers to get there. Do any of the planes have chickens on them? <laughs> Because all of my Indiana Jones movies have prepped me that if you're going to Nepal, you have to take a plane with chickens. 
Nah, I don't know. Um, I'm assuming he checked it Another out. myth busted. <laughs> busted left on and right. heavy matter. You heard there's, it here. There's no colored pencils in geography, and there's no chickens on the Indian. If you'd like, I can put in a request for chickens. <laughs> Next time, I think you should. You're getting shortchanged. I mean, frankly, you should be, where are my chickens? So yeah. so 35 hours. That yeah. is a lot of hours. Even without chickens, that's a yes. long ride. Yes. Yes. But. You know, if it had only been the 35 hours, I wouldn't have gone back. The fact that I keep going back suggests how what a fascinating yeah. place it is. Yeah. So how many times have you been? Four times in the last five years. Wow. And how long do you go each time? Um, oh, any time, anywhere from about two weeks to, I did sabbatical there for about two and a half months. Wow. Yeah. And I've been frantically looking. I'd love to study the language. I'm not there long enough to study it very effectively. So I've been frantically looking around the area for Nepali folks in the Western Maine landscape to study Nepali. Have you found, have you found no, no, nobody? There was, a, there was a physician here in 2012 that was here on a one-year residency. Huh. And uh, then he left. So, yeah. so what, what has been the nature of your work in Nepal? So my work in Nepal, um, how about if I back up a bit? Sure. Because uh, the, the reason I began working in Nepal is when I went there in 2012, which was my first... Um, time there um you know i've been traveling since college internationally all over the world and I, I pretty much figured by this point okay i love it but i've seen everything by now i haven't been every place but i know what, what to expect and when i went to nepal after all these years and all this time traveling it was n not at all expected hmm. i would say and so much so that i just thought how have i overlooked this place all of my career i have to keep coming back here so i've made a point of that um, but when I went there the first time, um, so Kathmandu is um, the most, has the most complex social structure you could ever imagine. And so I, I learned that in my first couple of weeks there. And then I also went to the Himalaya, um, where, which was just a totally different environment than Kathmandu. And, you know, the trekkers and the mm -hmm. glacier cap peaks, and it's just incredible. Mm. Um, and so the combination of those were just so stunning to me, both the, the fascination of the social structure there, but also the, the tragedy of it, um, and also just the incredible environments to just wander around in. Unbelievable. Wow. I highly recommend it for anyone that has any um, inclination at all to go to a place like that. However, I don't know if I recommend it as a first place to go because it's quite intense. Yeah. I where, like when you're staying there, where do, where do you stay? I stay in places that are, well, I've stayed with families and villages up in the Himalaya for periods of time. And I've also stayed just in, in regular motels that have in Kathmandu, but that are very inexpensive, 8 or $10 a night. 8 or 10 So what kind of a hotel is this? I mean, like, is this? Oh, it might be like a Motel 6 is here. Okay. So, I mean, so it's a long trip to get there. The airfares are very expensive. But if you have the opportunity, I'd highly recommend it. Once you're on the ground there, it's very inexpensive. What's the strangest thing you, you've eaten in Nepal? The strangest thing that I've eaten? Eaten, yeah. In Nepal? Yeah. I haven't eaten many strange things in Nepal. That, that happened much more in China. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there could be a laundry list there. Yeah. China. China's much. Huh. Um, yeah, I, I've pretty much eaten standard food over there, dal bot, which is lentil soup. Okay. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, um, they've got, they're heavily influenced by Indian foods. They have a lot of curries and Indian types of food. And they're being more and more influenced by food from China. 
Huh. So they're kind of these various derivations, mixtures of Nepali food and Chinese food, which are kind of really odd. That, uh, that sounds like it. Yeah. So, uh, so, and what did you, what have you do, ended up studying when you've been there? So yeah, kind of getting back to your question about the work, the research I've been doing there. So after having made that first visit, I thought I, I really want to work here somehow. I've got to insert myself into this, which is fascinating. Um, so I began looking at some um, research on health-related issues over there, since that's a background that's of interest to me, as well as development. And so I'm thinking in that kind of context, health and development, I um, started coming into becoming aware of the severe problem with female suicide over there, which was really troubling to me. Most countries of the world, male rates of suicide are higher than females. Nepal is only one of a very few countries. India is another one that has higher rates among females. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's um, severe enough that it's a leading cause of death among women of reproductive age. Oh, my. Um, and it's not getting better yet. So this is, a, this is an issue, once I became aware of that, that I thought I really would like to try and step in and do something about this. Um, and so I set up a sabbatical over there to go over and study that. And essentially, what's happening is the, the complexity of the society is playing out in terms of causes of suicide. Hmm. Um, in other words, um, women are disadvantaged at nearly every stage and at every scale, this is a geographic term, every scale of the country from the household to the village to the national level. And those factors are inducing some of them into desperate circumstances that commit suicide. That's and is it across the socioeconomic spectrum as well? It's or? across the socioeconomic spectrum. So interestingly, even some women of high caste are still committing suicide at high rates. Um, but as you probably know, arranged marriage is a big mm -hmm. issue. Yes. Many of those do not work out happily, especially for women. Mm. When, when women get married, the cultural expectation is that they will move in with the husband's family, yes. where they are the lowest status adult in the household. Yes. And the worst, the most traditional households, in worst cases, they're either not allowed in the kitchen or in some cases not allowed in the house. And they, are, they have live in an outbuilding because of their low status and yeah. female status. So there are a number of those kinds of social, economic, gender, um, ethnic issues that combine to put women at a very high risk for suicide. You know, it's interesting um, because I think sometimes in America, you know, you'll hear about arranged marriages and people will, at least from what I've heard, people list it off as, oh, anybody can get along with anybody. You know, there's arranged marriages over in insert country here and they get along fine. Yeah without having any clue what actually that arranged marriage is like. And I mean, as what you're saying right now, it sounds like, no, not everybody can just get together and they're all just fine, fine, fine. Some things are changing and there may be more change. If you talk to a lot of young people, they say, we like how you do marriage in the West by and large, but we feel obligated to, um, you know, kind of be beholden to our parents' wishes. That's a tradition. Hmm. They, they call our kinds of marriages love marriages. And there are a minority, but a growing minority of love marriages happening in Nepal. I was just watching a movie on Amazon, The Big Sick. Have you heard a big, about The Big Sick? Uh, it's about this, it was uh, written by the, the star of the movie. Um, he's from Pakistan and he's living in America with his, his mom and, and he's probably you know college age. And just it's, just, it's a comedy. I won't go into detail because it doesn't have it's very good. You should watch it. I enjoyed it. Um, but his mom keeps on trying to set him up with different people and like, like 
the women come over and she's like, oh, look who happened to stop by. And they brought like, like almost an application. They have yeah. a, a picture. My resume. Like, yeah, this is what I am. This is what I'm interested in. And like, yeah. she's just, you know, that's, it's just was so strange. And then of course he meets a different girl, an American girl and he falls in love with her. And so just that, but he's, he's so terrified of telling his mom that he's in love with an American girl and he's going to marry this American girl because mm-hmm. he's just convinced his family is going to just yeah. kick him out. So so we see that in the movies, but in, in most families, that is how it plays out. Wow. So, yeah. and, what, and what are the educational opportunities for women? Is that improving at all? Is that helping to... Um, are there any, I the, guess, the, for, depending on caste and yeah, you know, social what's happened rank? Is, and, so what's happened is the government, this is how it goes up to government level on some of this. The government has um, put in place a number of... Um, statutes and laws that say women are equal, women have the same opportunities to participate in parliament, to get education, so forth. Um, but as with any cultural change, the cultural change comes much more right. slowly. So in the in the villages, which is the rock bottom, Nepal, that's what Nepal is. It's all the people right. out in the little villages. Those things are changing still very slowly. So the mm-hmm. attitudes within the households and villages still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are certainly a lot of young women in education and getting education and women in professions over there. Um, but it's not translating strongly enough in all places. What is the population over there? It's just over a million, about 1.2 million. Okay, how big, is, how big is Nepal? It's about the size of Tennessee. Okay. Very small place. Yeah. And um, what was the other thing? And what are the prime, primary industries? Like what jobs do people end up in? A lot of agriculture. Um, and a lot of, uh, there's some manufacturing, there's a lot of brick making that goes on, there's a lot of forestry activities, forest industry is active, but it's a very weak economy. So one of the major problems, and this also plays into the high suicide rate among women, another factor, because there aren't good job opportunities, there are men leaving in droves, mostly men, leaving their villages for jobs in the Middle East, heavy construction, heavy construction in the Middle East. And just recently, the Nepali government has become really alarmed and is looking at this closer because so many of them are coming back in body bags. So they're at high risk, very demanding jobs, and sometimes they're there for years, um, which leaves women caring for the children back home and all the household responsibilities. And, um, so very difficult situation. But So the economic part of that plays in for um, a, a weak economy. Mm-hmm. Not, not the kind of job opportunities they need. So is there, is there in all your travels, has there been, what are, what are some big surprises that you, I mean, so you said Nepal itself was a surprise. Are there other surprises that you've come across? You're like, wow, this was totally different than I would have anticipated. I, I figure if I'm not perpetually surprised, then I might as well, <laughs> I might as well give it up. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's what keeps me going. You put yeah. a nail on the, the hammer on the nail. I, if I, that's what I love about traveling is, to see all these new dimensions of the way that people think and live their lives just huh. fascinates me. That's that's what drives me day to day. Now, when you're not traveling as a research opportunity, do you do you enjoy solo travel? Do you travel with other people when you travel? I mean, I know when you do research trips, you bring students and stuff like that. But for your own travel, I, how do you I, like to I travel? I love to do solo travel. Um, in fact, sometimes I tell my wife, you know, I don't really want you to go. <laughs> I know you'd like to go, but I'm going to have to tell that, you. That's that. popular. <laughs> saying, this is going to be a really, really bad trip. You don't want to go anywhere near it. I hope she's not listening to this podcast later. Um, I, I love traveling by myself. 
I've always been a bit introverted. Mm -hmm. I love the solitude. Yeah. And one of my favorite things is I love photography. So when I'm out capturing the essence of places, I just love to get pictures of places and people. That's and, why your name is familiar. You submitted yeah. some beautiful photographs to our photography oh, well, contest yeah, um, last semester, right? Yeah, so, did and, yeah. In some ways, that's got to be solitary because after three hours of standing in one spot, some, <laughs> whoever else is with me is tired of waiting. <laughs> okay, that come on. Get that one picture. <laughs> so when you're, when you're planning a trip, uh, where do you typically start? Do you start with a, a plane ticket and see, or do you start with, so like me, a lot of times I will, I will go wherever it's cheapest for me to go. I'll be like, well, I, I got to go to Slovakia mm -hmm. and I can get into, I can go through, if I go through Ireland, it's pretty cheap. So I guess I'll go to Ireland as well as Slovakia. Right. Do you pick a destination? Do you pick a, I mean, how do you typically decide? I, I, I think that could be a real, really good approach to traveling. I, I don't do it that way. I, uh, um, partly because I've got some university money to fall back on. In fact, <laughs> but, but, but I tend to pick a place that I'd like to go for certain reasons, that I'd like to study some things there, take students there, and then I work it back from that point of how to pay for it. And then you figure out like where you're going to stay and all that. Mm -hmm. that kind but, of but I am a very economical traveler. You know, I really try to cut costs and keep it within budget. I definitely do that. Any tips if people are trying to travel economically to Nepal <laughs> or or elsewhere? What, Get what, there and then don't spend. Right, much. that's the yeah. How um, much? Does, I mean, how much does a ticket to Nepal cost generally? Speaking? Uh, you can get them for as low as about a thousand, up to about eighteen hundred, in that range. And and those are we've already established those are the non-chicken flights. <laughs> those are the non-chicken flights. But I'm assuming yeah. that's economy, flying economy. That's that's economy. Yeah. Do you yeah. hate? I mean, there are boats. People like boats. You can take a boat. <laughs> Do you just hate life? I mean, after 35 hours in economy, I kind of think you know I'd be like, I'm never flying this again. But I mean, you keep doing it, so I guess yeah. no. Well, yeah, that that tells you how driven I am by being in different places like that. Right. Yeah. I, I want to be someplace where I feel, you know, not not everyone feels this way. Some people feel very uncomfortable to be in an environment they're not familiar with. Yeah. For me, it's just the opposite. If I keep doing the same thing day after day in the same place, I start to get really restless. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's liberating to think I'm going to go somewhere new. And you asked if I how I choose where I'm going. Well, I usually choose where I'm going based on the kind of work I want to do there. But I, I am perfectly happy. If I if I didn't know where I was going tomorrow and I got to go somewhere, that's great with me. Yeah. You just, yeah, Jump just, on a plane. Yeah. The, yeah. the unknown about it just fascinates me. Huh. Yeah. So is there a... So you mentioned you do photography. Do you have uh, a site people could check out some of your photos? Is there any place they We're can... We're working on a site, yeah. So um, right now, my brother and I are uh, have a, a kind of a photography business that's in its infancy, and it's oh, travel, really? travel photography, which pitched with this, this podcast. Um, but it's uh, it's on exposure.co is the web is the site. But we're thinking we're trying to develop our own website for it. So, so that's in process. So if they go to exposure.co, that's the address, or that's I don't know exposure.co. Yeah, and you'd have to look up under my name under Brad Gearden. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and uh, articles written or books written, anything. Uh, that you've published that people could check out? or Not, not recently. I haven't. There's an article that I, there, there are a couple of articles I'm trying to publish, um, and they're associated with, um, this is a whole other avenue of research, but there, this other line of research I'm doing right now is the, the spaces that global entities operate in, in urban areas of developing countries. 
some, requires some explanation. What, what I mean by that is, as I've traveled around and made these observations, and often I've been in the Beijings and the Kathmandu's and a place like this, the Guatemala cities, I've noticed that in our globalizing world, there are all these household name companies, you know, the McDonald's mm -hmm. and Coca-Cola's mm -hmm. and Samsung's and stuff that have offices there, that have billboards up, they advertise in subways, they have videos that project on screens, they're all over in these cities. But what fascinates me, and what I, what I guess I, I, it's kind of a critical challenge to this, is that I will be in places where I see this kind of promotion of global entities from outside the country in these developing countries, and right across the street, or right at the base of those billboards or buildings, we have extreme poverty. So there's mm. extreme juxtaposition of wealth and poverty. Mm. And so in this research, I'm not suggesting that globalization is causing that. It could be. Um, that'd need a lot more research to, research to validate it. Mm. But what I suggest is it may even be problematic that it's willing to operate in those kinds of spaces of, of wealth mm. and poverty, just All extreme right. differences. So for example, Kathmandu, last time I was there, I took a photo of a Samsung billboard and it shows this nice, white looking Western family with a new refrigerator from Samsung. And at the base of that billboard are about 15 people laying there that are homeless. Yeah. And so yes. these stark juxtapositions right next to each other, and we see it all around in many of the cities in developing countries as they expand their economies and invite global entities into their economies. Wow. Yeah, and so I'm documenting all that with photography, which is great because it allows me to marry how I'm thinking about uh -huh. this spatially mm -hmm. as well as capturing it Visually. with images. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, uh, I've learned a whole lot yeah. about geography. I, I want to be a geography major now. Yeah. You know? We expected to go from this podcast <laughs> right, right. Pr promoting and helping us out. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, you know, so I think... It sounds like the the breadth of different research that you've done is just just fascinating, and I think it's I would think that a lot of students, if once they get beyond the colored pencils, yeah. thinking that's all it's going to be about, I mean, man, that sounds yeah. like a really yeah. Don't put the colored field. pencils message out. Right, right. Okay. I think what you need you need to start wearing a fedora and carry a bullwhip. Yeah. And then people will be like, yeah. wait a minute, and I a don't chicken, know, possibly, and maybe a chicken, maybe a chicken. <laughs> anyway, uh, you've been listening to uh, Brad Dearden here on Heavy Meta. Uh, thank you so much for coming to, to visit with us. and uh, It's been yeah. really fun and informative. Thanks. Thanks so much to both of you. I appreciate it. You bet.